What's up, everybody? You're listening to the 10 After 7 podcast, episode 18 with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. And today, I got one of the best guests I could give you. My best friend works for Fox Sports, executive producer of the Doug Gottlieb Show. For, no, with no further, uh, without further ado, Ryan Lewis Music. What do you need? Was that bad? I boxed. What do you What do you need? Anybody who knows Cody, as long as I have, so maybe not much many of you, but uh, if you ever call Cody just to chat, just to say what's up, just to be like, "How you doing, man?" He'll immediately pick up the phone and hit you with a "What do you need?" I know, and I love doing it in public too because people will look at me like, "Who are you talking to?" And that's how I answer the phone with my brother, mom, anyone who calls me. It's "What do you need?" Exactly. So I'm going to ask you. What do you need? What are we going to talk about today? You're in the biz, so you've been following all along. What's going on? So today, on June 4th, what were the topics? Shoot them. I mean, realistically, the I'd say probably 80 to 90% of today's show was the Drew Brees stuff. It's not, you know, I talking to people in the business, it's not a topic that we all expected to cover when we made the decision to get into sports broadcasting, but given the climate of where we are in the world, it's a topic that we have to talk about. So understanding that, look, you know, as two white dudes, it may be something that makes us uncomfortable, but I think the whole idea behind this movement and where people are right now the idea is we need to be a little bit more uncomfortable and we need to talk about the things that make us uncomfortable in order for everyone else to feel more comfortable in this world. So that's really what we talked about. We talked a little bit about some Baker Mayfield, some return of the NBA, uh, pot- potential return of Major League Baseball. But really, it's the uh, Drew Brees conversation that uh, we covered on today's show. Yeah, I totally agree with you. We have to start talking about it. We've avoided it for too long. And Drew Brees, I'll tell you right now, that's one of the biggest whips we have seen. I mean, you cannot sound more tone deaf than he did yesterday during that interview. Oh, yeah. Um, and and it's, it's a difficult thing for someone like Drew Brees, right? I know you and I have both been big fans of him, not only on the field, but also off the field in what we've seen from him. I mean, this is a guy who won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. He most recently donated $5 million to COVID relief. If you look at his charities and on his personal website that talks about the things that he stands for, he's donated like over $35 million to all charities and all platforms, which is just an incredible thing. And that's what makes having the conversation so difficult is because I don't want to make Drew Brees out to be a bad person because I don't truly believe that's who he is at the core of what he is and what he's about. And I think that's what you saw from the statement that he released today. But I think there is a conversation to be made that there are ways to approach this conversation that we all need to change to show that we're a little bit more open-minded about things. And we're all entitled to our own opinions. And if that's his opinion about whether you stand or don't stand for the national anthem, regardless of who you are and what your background is, that's totally fine. But you need to be open to hearing more perspectives. And I think he realized that after, you know, a lot of the reports were that they had a team meeting. Um, You saw Michael Thomas and some of the other big names on the Saints come out and say, look, he apologized. He understand where he went wrong we accept his apology. Let's all move forward. And I think that's what this movement is about is in our own little bubble, we may not understand the bigger picture. And so we may say things, but we need to be receptive to the people who may point out like, Hey, you need to be more open-minded than that and be receptive to that. And don't be stuck in your ways and be open to evolving and changing and hearing from everyone else's perspective. And so that way we can all move together as one big unit. And I think he realized when you're trying to have a conversation about, you know, the national anthem and what it means to different people, it's really hard to start your statement with, 
I will never agree with someone who does whatever. Because that goes to show you're not really open to having a conversation. And I think he so realizes su- that. That's what's so surprising, though, that Drew Brees, you listed the resume he has off the field, how much money he's donated to a lot of organizations. He went through Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. He's the face, one of the faces of the NFL. And to have what's going on in the world today and have that answer. And if you didn't hear it, go check it out. And the question was, I'm paraphrasing, a lot of players uh, with this movement kind of look back on what Kaepernick did. And going forward, there might be players that take a knee this upcoming season and right away just so unaware. And that guy to be unaware, uh, that's what was surprising to me. Yeah, and, and you know, we had guests on the show today. And a lot of what you heard from people, um, so as you said, for clarity, Normally, I'm the executive producer of the Doug Gottlieb show. Today, Colin Cowherd was off, so Doug filled in for Colin on the herd. I was there with him, so we did the herd. Someone who's normally on the herd is Joy Taylor. When we were having this conversation on air, you know, part of what Joy said was that's what made it hurt so much was because of the person that everyone looked up to and saw in Drew Brees, and then for him to say what he said made it hurt more. And that's what, you know, opens my eyes and opens the whole perspective to you can be about something, but that doesn't mean we all still can't be better. And in fairness, even in fairness to Drew Brees, if you take his entire answer into context, you know, he did say a lot about, I understand things aren't great right now what the national anthem to me means is we all stand up together and we come together as one. And then we can all unite around one cause and move forward together. Like not everything that he said was bad. There was actually a lot of good in what he said, but it's understanding that a lot of good can also be discounted if you're not presenting it in the right way and not showing that you're open to hearing other people's perspectives. And so I think it was actually a great lesson for everyone if someone like Drew Brees, yeah, who we can see. That's what I was see, just about to say. It literally yeah. gave us what we're arguing about. Put yourself in other people's shoe. See why they're fighting. And I think his answer basically set us all up saying, this is what we're fighting for. This right here. Just put us in perspective. Put our fight oh, in ab- perspective. A- oh, absolutely. And look, I, I also want to give credit to the likes of, you know, Michael Thomas. Uh, I think they're also their linebacker, Demario Davis. Uh, Cam Jordan. I mean, the fact that Drew Brees can make that comment. And look, people were hot yesterday. Yeah, I mean, Malcolm Jenkins' safety for the Saints was in tears. Yeah, so I want to give those guys credit because a lot of them came out and said, hey, you know what? We got on the phone with Drew. We talked to him about it. He apologized. And we accept his apology and we want to move forward together. Like, look, more power to them because I know – I'm not perfect. And I know there have been times in my life where I feel like as privileged as I am, I've felt wronged by, you know, different people in different situations and on a much more meaningless level than what these guys are going through. And for them to quickly hear out someone's perspective, to forgive him for that and be ready to put their arm out and say, hey, I'm going to bring you in. And now let's do this together. I mean, props to those guys for being able to understand that someone can make a mistake, show they're truly sorry about it, and now embrace them to try and bring everyone together so we can all move forward and make the world a better place for everyone. Yeah, you couldn't have said it any better. And those guys are going to teach Drew Brees along the way. I'm sure that was a part of their conversation. Look, here's yeah, the absolutely. Uh, going forward, you're going to listen to us. Just have, have an open mind going into these types of things. So I think we uh, knocked that one out. The big one today... And clap it up. All around, clap it up. Yeah. The NBA Board of Governors voted. Let's do it. Nine to one in favor of the NBA returning on July 31st, going through October 12th. I couldn't be more stoked. This might be the most electric NBA playoffs we're going to see in a long time. Parody wise, who's going to win it? The circumstances involved. I'm stoked. We could go over the rules, but man, tell me how you feel right now. Oh, yeah, definitely excited. Um, I do wonder, I get that it's it's probably all has to do with safety and logistics. The one thing that I am, I don't know if concerned is the right word, is 
October is just going to be wild between NFL, college football, MLB playoffs, the Masters, and then somehow fitting the NBA Finals in there. It's going to be a crazy sports calendar. So very selfishly, of course, I, I would hold out hope that somehow the NBA would be able to make this happen sooner so we could get sports back quicker. But I'm obviously excited that this is a great sign that, you know, of the major sports, NBA seems to be first on the calendar to come back. Although I am holding out hope that baseball will figure out their situation and come back before that. But yeah, I mean, look, the NBA coming back is a great sign. And, uh, I, you know, I kind of like what they did. I, I it's was not confused. a perfect. Please admit I'm not on island. I was confused when I first read what was going on with the 22 teams involved. I, you know, I actually, I wasn't that confused. I basically had an idea of what they were trying to accomplish. Um, you know, the guests that you had on uh, your last episode, well, Devin, our good friend, Devin Rawl, or your good friend, not really mine. I'm just kidding, Devin. Um, he sent me a text and he's like, hey, can we talk about this? And so I sort of explained it to him just because for the show and everything, I wanted to be aware. So I had done some research to sort of see what was going into it. And look, there was never going to be a plan that made everyone happy because most things you're either going to do, take the 16 teams that had already qualified for the playoffs, go directly into the playoffs. Then the teams that are left out are going to feel like, Hey, we didn't get a fair chance at being able to come back. You expand the playoffs. Now I'm sure rightfully so teams like the Grizzlies or whatever, and maybe even the magic are like, well, this isn't really fair. We were basically in the playoffs and now all of a sudden you allowed these teams to get healthy over the past two and a half months before they start playing again. And now they just get a fair shot to get back in. Whatever. I I, I actually don't have a problem with it. I like that they're going to play some ramp up games before they get back into it. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, it, it, it is interesting how they, you know, apparently they ran the numbers and they came up with, whatever small percentage of teams based off of how many games were left in the season, whatever come back from the four game threshold that they set. If you're within four games of the eighth playoff spot, then you're allowed to come in. I will say I am a firm believer that it happened to fall within the window of, Hey, we get to see Zion Williamson play again. You got to give me that. hundred percent. hundred percent. Okay. But okay. it also, I actually saw this and you're the one that always, teaches me about the money aspect involved with all these things and having these eight regular season games, which is the ramp up to the playoffs. Uh, I have a statistic here. They said if the remaining 259 regular season games combined were canceled, players would be facing $645 million collectively in lost salaries by adding these 88 games of regular season basketball, they're going to save 300 million collectively. So that also has a lot to do. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, it, it, there are a lot of aspects. Like I said, look, selfishly, I would hope for them to come back sooner, but I'm sure there are so many different things that we're even remotely unaware of in terms of how this whole thing came together, that they didn't just choose July 31st, like some random date, like they picked it out of a hat. I'm sure they have a very good reason why, um, which is exactly what you're pointing to in terms of how they – arrived at how many teams are allowed to be in because of the amount of games. Um, well, and it speaks to, I mean, I think it's funny because for years we've been talking about how more, how much more competitive the Western conference is. And they say, you know what, right. we're going to bring five Western conference teams back to battle for that eighth seed. And Eastern yeah. conference, uh, we're just going to give the wizards. So the magic, if you're yeah. upset, all you have to do is fight off one team. Grizzlies. I could agree yeah. with you there because there's five teams coming for you. Right. No, totally. And look, the Grizzlies were a great story, right? I mean, John Morant is awesome to watch. And it feels like so long ago that we were having the debate on who should be the rookie of the year. But I was pretty firm in the corner of John Morant. Now, granted, we didn't really get to see the whole rest of the season play oh, out. But Zion I mean, was coming in hot. Those Pellies were heating Zion, up, dude. Absolutely. He was coming in very hot. But my whole thing was, and look, it's all about expectations entering the season, but I don't think anybody thought the Grizzlies were supposed to be 
any good. And the fact that they were even a playoff team in the West was incredibly impressive, especially from that perspective. But it's going to be, it's going to be great. I mean, having sports back is going to be awesome. And the NBA in summer (laughs) with the play in games, I, I like what the NBA did. I think they actually got it right. They found a happy medium. I think a lot of the teams that got left out, you know, like the Knicks and the Warriors and some of those teams that are way, way, way at the bottom, they never wanted to come back. They just wanted the season to be over. So maybe they did the Grizzlies dirty, but if they're the only team that truly feels upset out of every other team in the league, then unfortunately that's the way that it goes. So I mentioned the vote was 29 to one. The Blazers were the lone team to vote against. Yeah, I saw and- that. Yeah. So why, why do you think that? I, John Serta, our friend, and our group text told me they thought there was a more competitive way to handle the situation. I don't know what that would be, but it's kind of odd that the Blazers were the one team to say no, while all 29 others said, yeah, we're for it. Yeah, I, I actually, I'll be honest, I saw that and I thought the same thing. I haven't been able to come up with a real reason why I think the Blazers were the one team to vote against it. And I think um, we could, we saw I her- think we could agree I don't think the players feel that way. Not the way Damian Lillard. No, 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 no. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Um, Which is why it's so perplexing because you looked at, so like earlier this week, there were reports that owner of the Thunder, Clay Bennett, sort of, and you want to talk about a team that was surprisingly good. I mean, I left them in the barren wasteland of the off season and they were surprisingly good, but you know, Oklahoma city, super small market. There was a report from Adrian Wojnarowski earlier this week about how Clay Bennett had been vocal on behalf of small market teams saying like, Hey, you know, we, we need to be mindful of trying to bring back all 30 teams because some of these smaller market teams are really going to struggle to go from, having games in March and then not playing again until maybe December. And so to hear that from the thunder, you're like, okay, but you're in the playoffs. So they wouldn't leave you out. But then to put that into contrast of, okay, Portland's not a big market either. So why would they vote against this proposed plan? Maybe they were just in favor of what Clay Bennett was saying, which is like, hey, we're in favor of bringing back everyone, not just us, including some of the playoff teams. That's the only thing I can come up with is they were trying to stand up for the league as a whole and be like, we want everyone to come back, not just a portion of it the could league. Have, I didn't look at their schedule, but it could have a lot to do with their schedule because think about it, all those bottom feeders that are left out, there's no easy yeah. games that are going to be involved with these eight games remaining. It's going to be a tough right. uphill battle to get to that eighth seed. So maybe that's why the players are yeah. upset. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean – yeah, it's it's tough to say, but it is interesting. I mean, of all the teams, I, I saw a joke from someone on Twitter. I can't remember who, so I apologize. I wish I could give them credit. Um, but someone had said, like, when the initial report was one dissenting vote, someone tried to say it was the Knicks, and it would have been totally on brand for the Knicks, so I get why they made that joke. But then to find out it was the Trailblazers was certainly surprising. I think there's so much to talk about here. My first question I have written down is we know how close – the MVP race was becoming, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought Giannis had it wrapped up. A lot of people thought that weekend before the season ended when the Lakers went out and beat the Milwaukee Bucks and then beat the Clippers, LeBron had the lead. Do you think these last eight games are going to have a major effect on the voters when it comes to vote for the MVP? I actually don't think it'll have that much of an effect because I think – given the circumstances of how few games are left and everything surrounding how the teams that are playing, the situations that they're going to be playing, probably no fans, no home court advantage. They're just going to kind of look at it as like a version of the preseason because so much of the regular season had already been played. I do think it's going to go to Giannis again. I think LeBron made a hell of a case And I think the fact that he was playing his best when the league had ended and they had had those two signature wins certainly favors him and shows that he was closing the gap quickly. I try to discount against recency bias and look at the entire picture. And I go, so much of the regular season had been played. The Bucs were such a good team and Giannis was such a big part of what they did 
it makes sense to me that he should be the MVP and LeBron is a close, close second. And if in a perfect world, if none of this had ever happened and they kept playing games, maybe LeBron chases him down at the very end and beats him out. And look, I'm a Lakers fan. So I'm, I, you know, if, if anything, I should be considered biased in favor of trying to give it to him. Um, but I'm going to have to go with the honest and I'm not sure this little eight game wrap up to the quote unquote regular season should really mean much in terms of the MVP race. So of these eight games, there's not really advantages or disadvantages, I guess. Wait, hold on, hold on, back up, back up. What do you think about the MVP? Yeah. So I was going to, I was going to get into it because these eight games, you look at how much comfort there is between the Lakers and their first seed with the Clippers behind them. They have a five and a half game lead. And I think teams are going to be very focused on getting their players back in basketball shape. I think minutes are going to be limited. Maybe they ramp them up. So I don't think it's going to be in eight games where you could get the sample size guys playing, you know, 30 something minutes to go out there and get it. It would be awesome if the Lakers and Bucks agreed like, Hey, last eight games, LeBron have the best eight games of your life. Giannis go out there drop 40 every eight games. That's just not the case. They're not, they don't really need these eight games are just there. Like you said, to ramp up for the playoffs. And that's, I think what I was going to get into was the advantages and disadvantages. I think the top seeds, Bucks, Lakers, I think Bucks have a seven game lead in their conference. Lakers, like I said, five and a half. And I think that's what they're going to use it for getting their guys back in shape, messing with lineups, juggling players in and out. That's what it's going to come down to. And I, yeah, I agree with you. Giannis probably will get it, but when it comes to MVP, LeBron's 35 after such a bad year last year. Yeah. You could put a lot on LeBron. He was injured. He tried to ship everyone out. What he was doing at this age (laughs) was unprecedented. And I, I think he would have closed the gap enough where voters would have said, you know what? We got to give him another one. I think it's been a, it's been a while, like six years since I think he got his last MVP. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, look, the, like I said, the case is certainly there to be made for LeBron. I just think, on the surface of when you talk about what a player does for a team, you know, a a lot of times I think history would tell you a lot of times if you're the best, and I I don't have the overall records, but I think the Bucs had the best record in the league, right? They had a better overall record than the Lakers. Yeah. So you have the best record in the league. You're the best player on that team by like a wide margin. You know, this isn't, the Hawks of a few years ago where they did that super dorky thing where they like said, Oh, player of the month. And they did like the whole starting lineup. And it was like Kyle Corver, Paul yeah, Millsap, Al Horford, like, stars. yeah. Where it was like, okay, yeah, they're a really good team, but they don't have one single star. It's like, look, we all know Giannis is the star. They were the best team in the league. It's it, you'd be really, is that my boy, Huddy? Yeah. Tell him what up. He's... <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's it, it'd be it'd be a stretch to really argue for LeBron over Giannis. You'd be really outweighing on court statistical achievements in favor of quote unquote storylines, which I don't necessarily yeah. like disagree with. Okay. But you'd be you'd have to admit that you're you're really putting that over just straight stats value and team achievement. Yeah. Um... I mean, I wish I could tell you what I, uh, you just said, but you know, buddy gets involved, <laughs> grandpa gets involved, you know. Hey, hey, he's a great guy, though. That's you what know? makes this podcast here, you know. I got to know I package that's at right. the door. That's important. Uh, all right. Well, look, uh, here's what I'll say. You actually brought up a good point before that that I thought was pretty interesting. You know, I've been thinking about the whole player rest because you know load management and load management has been such a big thing especially for a player like Kawhi. but you actually brought up something that i hadn't really considered i had always in my head been like oh all of this extra rest would be great for a player like Kawhi because he tries to do or they try to implement that load management program so it doesn't get too much work so it's like he played most of the season now he gets a bunch of break he gets a bunch of games off and he should be fresh for the season but I bet they totally have a dialed back program for how they plan on getting him re-implemented. And we may not even really see him until the like official playoffs begin. I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one because how much wiggle room do they have? I think they're only two games ahead of the Nuggets. 
And that's where you look at right. the matchups with the seeding. Do we want to play this team who's the sixth seed if we drop to the third? Or do we want to sit at number two and play the Dallas Mavericks? That could be a better matchup. I, I don't know. And that's that's what the teams don't have. And that's kind of a disadvantage with these eight games. If you don't want to drop your seed, you kind of have to go full blast into this thing and try to win as many of these eight games as you can. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, one of the things that a lot of people, and I agree that we've been discussing regarding the Clippers before everything stopped was how little their what we would consider like their starting five had actually played together between Kawhi's load management. Paul George has been dealing with injuries. They've had a couple of injuries and just been toying with starting lineups. Like, They have such little, first of all, you know, Kawhi and Paul and the way that they had brought the team together, they don't have married. They didn't have any experience playing together coming into the season. Then with Paul George's injuries and Kawhi Leonard's low management, they've played very little together this year. So you'd think there's going to have to be a balancing act between, okay, we got to get these guys on the court together to find some type of chemistry and find out how they're going to play together. But at the same time, they've both been dealing with injuries. So we don't want to overwork them before we just have to end up getting right into the playoffs. So I I think the Clippers, I think the Lakers are always interesting. If you're a team that has LeBron James and obviously Anthony Davis and considering how good they are, but from like a basketball team dynamic perspective, the Clippers are more interesting in how they're going to approach this whole playoff picture. And And that's a good point you make because a lot of people were kind of doubting the Clippers because they never got on one of those runs where they reel off eight to 10 games. A lot of people kind of soured on them a bit because they hadn't played together that long and they're at the point they're at where they're going to have to go into these eight games and get accumulated with each other as fast as possible going into these playoffs. There's a lot of, I'm looking at the teams that, have struggled in the past in the postseason. The number one team I look at is the Houston Rockets. Think about James Harden, Mm. who we've always pointed to during the playoffs. Oh, he got tired out. He's so ball dominant during the year, having these 40-point games. He just gets too tired by the end of the season. And that's a team I'm looking at like, wow, these three months could actually benefit them. Now, if you've seen pictures of James Harden on the internet, I think people are diving too (laughs) deep into him. He's skinny. And I like my I like my Harden Chuck. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you like your Harden with a little bit of meat on his bones. I, you know, I I actually, to be totally honest, I don't think my opinion of the Rockets has changed at all. We're given everything that happened with COVID or even anything that we expect from this new playoff format, because they are. I agree somewhat with what you're saying with, you know, does Harden tire out at the end of playoff series? I don't think it's disputable that he does, but I also think a bigger picture is just the inherent flaws of how the Rockets are built. I always find myself in the middle. I am not anti-analytics, but I'm not analytics is the answer and tells you everything. And I think everything that that team does is so heavily based in analytics that they try to use that as a predictor to, well, given all of these numbers, we should win. It's like, okay, but it doesn't just come down to a stat sheet. There are intangibles that come into play. And I have a hard time putting my faith in a team that's so heavily reliant upon the numbers. So that's why I'm like COVID, no COVID playoff format, no playoff format. I think they're a boomer bust type of team. I mean, if they're hot and they're hitting threes, they're almost unbeatable. But we know how hot and cold it can be when you try and shoot that many threes in a game. You end up like when they had the Warriors on their home court in game seven and they missed 28 straight threes. Like you live and die by it. And sometimes, actually not sometimes, more often than not, for them, when it gets late into the playoffs, they end up losing yeah, they because they live or die by the three. And they do have flaws. I mean, before COVID happened, they were sending out guys who were no taller than I think their tallest guy on the floor was six, eight. So yeah. And they played right. the Lakers, they beat them, but how that is going to translate to a seven game series. I don't think it does. I just think it would be absolutely incredible if this was the, year the Rockets got yeah. over the hump and it's because Harden gets three months off and has this 
someone said in my group text <laughs> is I don't think there's a strip club in Orlando. So James Harden might be locked in and they're going to have to stay in these hotels. Yeah. Listen, there, there's a lot of weird stuff on the internet and Twitter, but one thing that I saw, oh, and Please, yeah. I do tell, not tell. have, it's real. I, I do not have the time to source it out and see the research as to whether or not it's a real thing. But that Reddit thread that made the case that there is a direct correlation between how he plays in cities that have a high per capita of strip clubs versus cities that don't have strip clubs. And he plays worse in cities that have a lot of strip clubs and better in ones that don't. If that is actually true, that is so crazy to think about, but I just don't have the time or the interest to fully dive in and really back that up. So it could, there is a very real chance that it's just some dude on Reddit that has way too much time on his hands and he's just creating fake news. But if that is true, that is I just so I was never so a Reddit crazy. fan, but after those numbers came out, I love Reddit now. That there's people on there that have the time to break down how many strip clubs there are in the cities, how far away from they are, from where they're staying. <laughs> it's incredible. So, advantage, Houston Rockets. Quarantine, James okay. Harden, looking skinnier. Probably in better shape than he's ever been in. If Houston Rockets win this, that's who I'm pulling for. I want Russell to get a ring. I want James Harden to get his ring. And this is the thing, though. So me and Devin talked last week on here, and he said, without a doubt, no questions, there's going to be an asterisk on this season. I don't believe that because the playoffs are going to be seven-game series like they've always been. And no one has more of an advantage than another. They're going to be in Orlando. No home court advantage. No fans. I don't think there's going to be an asterisk at all. I think – it's going to be subjective, though. Fans are going to decide whether there's an asterisk right. on the team. Like LeBron, I think a lot of people are throwing that out there because maybe they don't want LeBron to get his fourth ring. I don't know why. He's a Laker. I'm biased. I want him to get his fourth ring. But I think it's subjective. I think people are going to throw that out there uh, if a team they don't like happens to win the whole damn thing. Yeah, I think I listened to what you guys had said. I think you both made really good points. I'm going to say what I think it should be. And then I have another point to make after that. I don't think it should be an asterisk. In my personal opinion, I agree with just about everything that you said in terms of, hey, it's an equal playing field that happened to everyone. Everyone's dealing with the same circumstances. It's a unique situation. Oh, if you cut out, Muse, you're buried. Um, Yeah, no, it was someone trying to cut me on the line. Um, So... I think we'll look back on it and yeah, people will be like, Oh, that was the COVID season. But in my opinion, it doesn't matter. I will always see them as a true rightful champion because all of the circumstances are even for every team. What I do think is going to be interesting in terms of how everyone else will see it. I really think it's going to be based off of who wins. That. I'm, I'm going to call you. If you I keep getting a call side, from this person. Your name for now on well, I keep getting a call from this person and I keep ignoring it. And I'm trying to text them right now that I can't talk right now, but they don't seem to understand that by I'm not letting it go to voicemail. I am ignoring your call. So I just texted them. So hopefully they don't call me back. Um, I think it's going to be based off of which team wins specifically in terms of this. I think if it's the Lakers, the Clippers, or the Bucks, if one of those three team wins, most everyone who's an NBA fan is going to look at it and go, all right, you know, that mostly makes sense. Those are like the teams that we legitimately thought had a chance to win the title before everything came to a halt. So yeah, it may have been a weird stoppage in playoff format, whatever, but the teams that we thought were good ended up winning it all, so whatever. But I think if you get a random, like, I don't know, Celtics versus Rock, like Celtics well, versus Rockets, so. where I, teams I are so. like, I mean, they were good, but they really weren't considered one of the great teams. Then people are going to be more leaning towards like, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Celtics. I think you could throw them in the bunch with the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks. To be honest with you, because they've been in the hunt all year with the Bucks and the number two seed. Who's the two the seed? Raptors, oh, yeah. In, uh, Toronto. Yeah. 
which is yeah. another incredible story. They won it last year, so there shouldn't be an asterisk there. I think the teams you're talking about is Yeah, like OKC, OKC versus the Magic, which I think is like almost impossible that wouldn't happen. But if you end up with OKC versus Magic in the finals, people are going to be like, okay, clearly this whole thing we got to put into context in the history of the NBA because nobody thought either of these teams had a chance before the whole world came to a stop. So and is that fair? Um, probably not. I mean, like I said, in my personal opinion, we'll try and give them the credit that they deserve since everyone's on an equal playing field. But I think most people will have to take into consideration, like, they, over the course of the regular season, they had proved out to be who they were, and they probably weren't, they probably benefited more than we think given the stoppage. And Again, it's probably not fair, but it's probably the reality of how people are going to see it. Do you think there's any correlation with the younger teams possibly having an advantage over the older teams of the league? Lakers are the second oldest, but there's a lot of young teams in the, in the hunt that possibly might have an advantage because they're younger. No, sure I, I personally don't see it. Um, I know there's a lot of things that unprecedented times. So who, you know, can we really apply what happened in the past to what's happening currently? But I don't see it that way because in the end, we always see that the more experienced teams win the biggest games in the playoffs, you know? And so if, if I have to look at it, I'm going to go with teams that have the experience, the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, even Giannis and the Bucks don't have that much experience. Like obviously not in the finals, but they've been in the playoffs a few times. So they sort of know how to win those quote unquote big games. I'm going to put my stock in the experience over youth just because that's usually what we've seen. And look, that could be a total whiff because I'm trying to use past precedent to project unprecedented times, but that's just, I'm going to err on that side as opposed to youth. Cause I, I don't really see the benefit of the youth. I mean, I guess they're just more, I don't even know what is the argument that somehow the younger teams would have more of a benefit right now. I, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I just saw it out there, so I thought I'd throw it because I read an article that the Lakers are the second oldest team. Maybe that's a disadvantage for them. Uh, I don't think so. I think, like you said, that has a lot to do with experience. Um, I think it's just going to – it's basketball. Five dudes on the court, how well they complement each other, that's what it's going to come down to. I want to name off a few things that are going to happen with basketball. Just notes. Uh, So seven games per day over roughly three weeks – during the August, August yeah. regular season mm-hmm. games. That's awesome. I'm fired up. Uh, weekday afternoon playoff games in the first yeah, round. Yeah, definitely. Before that. Uh, they're going to use three different facilities for the first stage of things, and then eventually they'll reduce it to two when right. the teams get smaller and smaller. Uh, minimal back-to-back games. Uh, yeah. And daily. And yeah, daily I mean, I, I think – Look, it's going to be interesting, right? Because I'm guessing a lot of that's all based off of Eastern time zone. So when we're in the Western time zone and they talk about, you know, afternoon playoff games, I'm guessing that means they're going to be like middle of the day playoff games for us, which will be pretty interesting. Um, I mean, the testing, the thing that's going to be the most interesting about how this entire process plays out, because maybe I missed something that happened you know, in the couple of hours since the show finished to the time that we're recording this and they officially approved it. The thing that I'm most interested in outside of the games actually being played is how exactly are they going to handle a player testing positive? Because I think it's inevitable that at some point, somewhere along the line, someone's going to test positive. And yeah, and they said they're just going to have them quarantine, okay. isolate them. That's just if one person tests positive. If a whole team ends up testing positive, that's when they might have to shut the whole thing down. But they have thought it through. With have they said how long they plan on isolating that player for after he tests positive? Um, is it the yeah, well, that's, that's what I'm not sure of because I hadn't seen it yet. And the reason that's so interesting is – because we know how heavily reliant NBA teams are on their stars. And so like, you know, right. 
Right, like the Bucks, for example. Point, like we all it. think, oh, if it's just one player, that's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, if it's the tenth guy on the bench, who cares? But like, if Giannis, and given what we know about this virus, if Giannis walks into the arena, and he's asymptomatic but test positive, and he's like, dude, I can play, and they're like, protocol says you have to quarantine for I don't know, maybe it's a day, and then if he tests negative the next day, he's back, or you know, who knows? I don't know what they plan on doing, but if they have now, this is a unique example, but just, you know, game seven of the second round against, you know, whoever they may be playing at the time and Giannis walks in asymptomatic and tests positive. You're like, wow, that's that sucks for the Bucks. That's when yeah, and, and maybe that's how we look at it. Like, we won't know how we'll view the postseason until it's all over with. I'm sure that's probably what the case is. But that's what I find most interesting is. How are they going to handle someone testing positive? Because inevitably it feels like it's going to happen. There's going to be someone between July 31st and October, you know, I think they said, what was it? 12th or something that could potentially be game seven of the NBA finals. Someone's going to test positive. Yeah. What if, what if it, what if he tests positive and they sweep it under the rug and then 10 years from now we found out he had a COVID <laughs> game like Michael I, I think those days are long gone. I mean, look, that'd be a heck of a story and probably deserving of its own multi-part documentary 30 for 30. But uh, I, I get the feeling that won't happen. I think, I think it'll. I think that that's, that's one of the most interesting parts, but also. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Advantage. Now they they've they've been discussing this. I think they said like the higher seed gets the ball in the second, third, and fourth quarters. I don't know how much of a difference that's going to be. They said you get to uh, pick one player from your team who could have seven fouls instead of the six hmm. to foul out of the game. Uh, they also said you could bring your own court huh? and have it, yeah, their own court and have it over in Orlando, the hardwood, your own, to make these players feel comfortable i don't know how that happens i don't know the logistics of it but i want to i want to hear from the players on that one so you mean like bringing the floor so it can have like you know the lakers logo that that feels odd i don't know i guess i mean we know uh, especially baseball players but i mean all athletes really can be superstitious but that feels like we're going way too far to try and make something happen i am not a fan of that um One thing that I had, um, Doug had brought it up on the show today, which I forgot to bring up earlier when we talked about how long they're looking to delay the season is the, the NFL, at least up to this point publicly has been like, Hey, we're going to reassess everything. But right now our plan is to have fans in the stands. College football is sort of all over the map with this, but there are certain schools and universities and conferences that have at least come out and been like, hey, it may be a lower capacity, but in some form or fashion, we plan on having fans in the stands. Given what we talked about earlier, we see all these protests right now and these mass gatherings. In a couple of weeks now, we're going to know if we've passed this quote unquote peak or not and how much this thing may be spread and how it gets spread. But the thing that's going to be interesting about the NBA potentially delaying this as long as they can is holding out hope that by the time, you know, maybe the NBA finals, maybe even the conference finals, the goal is that by late September or early October, they will break away from the Orlando bubble and try and go back to home arenas with fans in some some type of capacity. I don't, I don't think so. Really? I You're not buying it? At all. I think they're, yeah, no, because then if someone happens to get it and it spreads, like who knows, we don't know much still, and you played however many rounds it is, maybe three rounds of the playoffs, and you're in the conference finals and you want to go back to the home arenas. It just doesn't make sense to, if that happens and your team has to isolate and you're shut down after three rounds of the playoffs, you've come too far uh, to risk. I, I agree. I don't arenas. know how likely it is, but it, it, the point that Doug made, which again, it, it was something that I hadn't, excuse me, thought of that I thought was at least good in theory is 
if we are seeing NFL games on TV with some former fashion fans in the stands, college football games with potentially fans in the stands, who knows with Major League Baseball, I mean, how many games, where the games are played, fans in the stands or not. But if you're seeing other games on TV with fans in the stands, and then the NBA is the only one who doesn't, it would be a weird dynamic. Would you Would you give me that, that why would the NBA be the only one that doesn't have fans in the stands still if other leagues are doing it? Um, it would have to be a league like the NHL where they're in an enclosed arena because NFL well, there, there are, there are indoor arenas. Outside. I mean, Vi- Vikings, Saints, That's true. Colts. But they're also basketball. I mean, I guess you could put them at, you know, the nosebleeds. Not right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think the expectation would be. Yeah. Like th- those, th- yeah, those courtside yeah, seats are on the floor. Yeah. a thing of the past until potentially, you know, 2021 or whatever, or a vaccine or who knows, but yeah, I think that's way too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if it would be, it would be cool. I would love it. I want fans. I, that's what makes mm-hmm. it great. The roar of the crowd. I'm all for it. I hope they pump it in during the broadcast. We know soccer's done it. I haven't watched a game since they've done it. I heard it's gone well. I don't know, but I'm just stoked basketball is going to come back. And before we go, I mean, we're pushing almost an hour on this thing. We got to talk about uh, the sacred game. We got to talk about it. We're not going to talk uh, about managers wearing uniforms. I, yeah, Devin's been on that take about. literally since we were like 15 years old. I mean, he's – and that's that's cool. That's his that's his niche. You know, he just wants to talk about how major league managers are old and they shouldn't be wearing the uniform. I think it's cool. I think it's comfortable. You guys are on the other side. You think they should wear khakis and suits? I don't. I think it would look weird. But let's let's talk about baseball. I don't think it's coming back, man. I don't. Uh, latest we heard is the MLB owners rejected the players' option to play 114 games. Uh, the owners want 50 games. I think that would be terrible. As a fan, I would hate it. There's no legitimacy there. I think the players feel the same way. I know they want to play more games because of the money, but I also think it has a lot to do with the legitimacy of winning a championship. I'm playing 50 games just to get to the playoffs faster, to get those owners their money is is wrong. And I'm upset because all these sports are going to come back uh, and baseball. Maybe not. I'm being perhaps overly optimistic. I do, th- I do think they somehow figure it out and come to a agreement. Um, I did see something. I don't know how legitimate it is. I mean, there's so many reports, you know, clearly the players and the owners are not only negotiating directly, but they're also also negotiating in public through leaks and reports. I saw John Heyman put out a report not too long ago saying that there's growing belief that the league will come back in some form or fashion because of the power that the commissioner has to essentially force a season to be like, Hey, you have to play. I think it's, I think he has the power to do at least invoke a 50 game season. And then if you choose not to play, you're like voiding your contract is essentially, I could be getting that a little bit wrong, but Rob Manfred holds this power to directly invoke like, Hey, it's time to start playing again. So. Well, we know what he's <laughs> Maybe he doesn't, but I do think that it's all posturing for right now. And I, I, I think they come to an agreement uh, look, and I'll, I'll say this, I'm not trying to necessarily take the owner's side, but I think the players will be much more affected in a negative way, whether not, not just from a PR standpoint, but from a financial standpoint, from a overall standpoint, if a season doesn't happen until 2021. I, I, players have shorter careers. They don't have as much of a we look at guys like Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, you know, generationally ridiculously wealthy, but some of those other guys like Aaron judge, like, yeah, he's probably got endorsements, but he still only makes like 500 grand a year, which is look a great living, but he's in the prime of his career trying to get a new contract. Mookie Betts is another guy. It, it doesn't make sense for them to just all of a sudden be like, Oh yeah, we'll just take a year off and come back the next year. 
it, there are so many financial ramifications to trying to take a year off missing out on all that revenue and how that affects you down the line and what that will do to the structure of the league. I think they're going to come to an agreement. I don't think it'll just, I don't think all hope is lost yet. Yeah. When I saw the owners propose their 50 game season, I literally texted Deb and I said, if they play a 50 game season and the Dodgers end up winning a world series, that'll have a bigger asterisk on it than the Houston Astros. Uh, ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a hot yeah, take. How I, feel. Um, and I, I don't even, I don't even like, I don't even like saying it because it really comes down to how the players feel about it. Like if Justin Turner or Clayton Kershaw came out and they thought it was legit, I'd get behind it. But for me personally to see my first Dodgers world series come at a 50 game season. Uh, look, uh, I'll say this. Um, I disagree because I think that the Astros cheated. And so I don't put an asterisk next to their title. I would personally say they aren't true World Series champions because they cheated. Whereas the Dodgers, let's say for the sake of argument, that's the only World Series that they win over the next 50 years. Yeah, you would look at it and go, dang, it's kind of disappointing that from, you know, 19... What was the last time? 1980 something. They won their last one. Yeah. So if they went from 1988 to 2060 and the only time that they won a world series in between that gap was the one year that it was. Let's not, let's not, let's not, let's not even say that. But I'm just. Listen, man. All right. We're going to, all right. We're going to end the podcast. Okay. On a high note. We're going to do what we used to do when you were my podcast partner. We ended the show on a final possession. Now on this final, on this final possession, I'm going to be taking the ball up the court. I'm going to have a hot take before passing it off to you for the game-winning shot. All right, let's hear it. Okay? All right. Stevenson dribbles up the court. Two seconds left. (laughs) No, not two seconds. Seven seconds left on the clock. Looking around. Dribbles baseline. Thinks about kicking it out. Comes to the back top of the key. Clay Thompson would win a championship as the number one player on an NBA team. Kicks it out to music in the corner. Draymond Green is not a – true hall of famer as a talented player getting in solely based off of accomplishments of the teams that he was on probably yes because the threshold has been made so low and ryan clinks it off and they lose the game i can't believe it the 10 after seven podcast first final possession in the hands of ryan i came up i came up absolutely clutch absolutely clutch yeah, I know a lot of a lot of people feel the same way as you. I think he's, uh, I mean, like you said, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it has nothing to do with his statistics. It's the part he played on his championship teams, which I agree with. He was a focal point on that team. But anyways, man, thanks for coming on. We went 50. That's right. Strong. Anytime, man. Anytime you want me. I'm happy to come back. All right. You're definitely getting an invite. All right, later, bro. Thanks, man. I'll see you. There you have it. I want to thank Ryan Music once again for joining the podcast. I want to thank you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 after 7 or on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. Hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. I'm out. Woo! Go Dodgers.